Good morning, guys. Uh, this really is an honor uh, to be with you guys, and uh, I'm really grateful. I've been asking Marcel for a year if I could come and preach, and uh, he finally said yes. I had to jump through some hoops, but, uh, but, but we worked it out and uh, got some relational things corrected, and uh, I'm actually totally kidding. That is a complete joke. Um, uh, he has been asking me for a while, and the schedule just never worked out, but it worked out today, and so I'm really happy to be with you guys. So uh, thank you for having me. I uh, also wanted to introduce you guys introduce you guys to some really great friends of mine. This is Dale and Gia Lewis right down here in the front. Dale, you can raise your hand. And uh, they, uh, they live up in Valencia, but just happened to be in Orange County today. And so uh, called me and said, where are you? And I said, here I am. And so here they are. And uh, Dale and Gia were the first wedding that I ever got to perform uh, back in 2002. So you're coming up on 20 years, you guys. Next year is 20 years. So, uh, but these guys love Jesus. And uh, they have a deep love for the word and a deep love for Jesus. And they're a ton of fun. So. So um, you're not going to get to spend any time with them because I'm going to lunch with them right after this. Um, but I just wanted you to realize what you're missing out on and uh, so that you can feel bad about that. But I'm really happy to be here. I'm really sorry for all of you that my wife is not here because she's, that's, okay, wait. Yeah, there we go. So it's that button. Okay, got it. That is, uh, that's the latest picture that I have of my family. Now this is back, uh, where are we? Met, well, a year and a half ago, anyhow, uh, back before the pandemic hit. And uh, so my younger two children would hate that I'm showing this picture, so nobody tell them, uh, because they've got totally different hairstyles now, and they look so super cool. And this is not a cool picture. Um, but it at least shows my dog, and so I felt it was worth uh, showing to all of you. Uh, but I got four kids. My oldest daughter, uh, her name is JL. She's 25. She's going to grad school up in Seattle. Uh, and then we have Jonathan the Giant in the back. He's uh, 22. And then Jacob is 18. And Brooklyn is 15. And uh, so a lot, of, uh, a lot of fun with all those guys and uh, a lot of craziness. So we moved to Orange County. And um, well, we started working for the church in South Orange County in September of last year. So we've been here just over a year. And, uh, and then we actually got to move down here officially in November, uh, and then finally bought our house in December. So, um, so we've been here now uh, for a while, and we absolutely love it. We, we love getting to be here. It really is, um, I feel grateful to be able to work with great people here, um, and uh, specifically, I just wanted to say, Marcel and Karina, I really love you guys. Very grateful for our friendship. We have been friends for many, many years, and uh, um, I always get to learn a lot from them every time I'm with them. And uh, so I'm really grateful for that. I think you guys are in great hands. I've loved getting to know Kyle and Jasmine too. They're awesome. And uh, we've just had a great time uh, getting to know each other over the last year, which has been great as well. So uh, today we are talking about, see, I'm going to play with this for a second. Which way? It is that button. Okay. Technology, you got to figure it out. I did it. Today, the title of the message is Empowered to Give. And I know that you guys have been talking about, uh, you've been in a, in a series about being empowered. Am I correct? Okay, so are you feeling empowered? The correct answer should be yes. We should have a resounding yes, at least for Marcel's sake. Let me ask that again. Are you feeling empowered? And I know I didn't give you a specific, are you empowered about what? But generally speaking, you should be feeling empowered somewhat, right? So, uh, and, and empowered for many different things. And Jesus does give us power, which is awesome, through the Holy Spirit. And I love that. Today, we're going to be talking about being empowered to give. And that's a great thing for us to do. God is a giver. 
We know that God loves to give. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me so is how you know that, right? It's in there. It's in the text somewhere that God loves to give. We know that God loves to give. Well, let's just use one of the most famous passages that we all know that you see in all of the football games and all that. John 3, 16. Does anybody know that verse? Have you ever seen that? You memorized it? You know what it says? For God so loved the world that he... Right, that he gave his only son. So from the very beginning, God's heart is that he wants to give. God created all of us so that he could give to us. And then he said, now I want you to be like me. And I want you to go forth and I want you to become givers as well. I want you to be able to take what you have been given and I want you to share that with other people. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about how we are the light of the world. He says, I want you to be able to take this light that I am giving you, and I want you to go and put it up on a hill, like a city on the top of a hill, so that everybody around can see how great our God is. But I want you to be the ones to go and give the light of the world to others. I want you to give the faith that you have. I want you to give the courage that you have. I want you to give all the blessings that God has given you. Now I want you to give to others. And when we give... That helps us to become more like God. It's amazing what it does for us to be able to give. It creates in us a character that is so much more like the character of God. And so today we want to, be, we want to talk about being empowered to give. Um, now I know that you guys have been having some different people come up and share uh, some of their thoughts uh, ab about this. And so this morning, uh, Julia Mabry has been asked to share her take and her story and her thoughts. She's an amazing young woman. And uh, so I'm going to have her come up right now and talk about being empowered to give. Everybody say, hi, Julia. Hi, guys. I'm Julia Mabry. I am a senior here in the teen ministry. Woo, we got like four of us here. <laughs> but um, I was asked to share a little bit how Jesus empowers me to give. And this was a really tough question for me because I was like, well, because he does. You know, it's Jesus. <laughs> he can do anything. And, um, but I think when I think about how the way Jesus lived his life and the way he walked the path that he did, I want to do what he did, and I want to follow in his footsteps, right? And he lived his life giving and loving everyone, and I believe that I should do the same. Jesus took a lot of action in his life. I believe that he was like a doer. He was like, let's get things done. He saw all these needs in the world. He's like, okay, this is a lot, but I'm going to do it. And he had his disciples to help him. And I don't know about you guys, but I can feel really overwhelmed by that. And I'm like, there's so much hurting in the world, like, there's nothing I can do about it. I have no power in that situation, or like, I wash my hands of this, like, there's nothing really I can do. But when I look at Jesus' life and the way he lived, I'm like, well, Jesus wasn't a superhero. He didn't have, like, superhuman powers or anything like that. He had God's power. And I have that same power with me today, tomorrow, yesterday, and I could use that to give. And um, I think recently I've been getting more involved with Hope Worldwide. It's a nonprofit organization for those of you that don't know. And I'm a part of a National Youth Advisory Council, it's NIAC. And I've been learning a lot to give and how to have compassion and how to serve properly and what it means to have compassion. And it's just changed my life. Um, I've also learned that it's not about 
oh, I'm serving to feel good about myself or to make others happy or like I want to please the people that need serving and I'm like, oh, these people need stuff so I guess I should help or, you know, it's like coming from a humble place and really reflecting God's greatness. So I wanted to share a quick scripture in 1 Corinthians 3.7. It says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I really love this scripture. I think as I'm serving or giving my time, I'm joining God's mission and um, planting and watering those seeds. And ultimately, I'm just saying, okay, I'm going to do my best and give God the rest. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you for letting me share. Love it. That is awesome. What were you doing when you were a senior in high school? <laughs> Thank you, Julia. Um, okay. I have to walk around a little bit because I'm sure there's something wrong with my brain, so I can't stand still. Um, so I'm just going to walk around. Is that okay? Everybody good with that? Okay. So we're talking about giving. We're talking about the idea of being empowered to give. Um, now, when I think about what's been going on in our world over the last 18 months, um, I mean, I, I, actually, I don't know any sermon lately that has not started with that thought that I think about everything that's gone on over the last 18 months. Because what's gone on over the last 18 months is really, in our lifetime, really unprecedented. And, uh, there, but there's been so many things that have happened with that that have shown us kind of who we are and shown us uh, the, the, kind of the position of our heart or what can happen in our heart, not just as individuals and not just as a church, but also as a culture and a society. And as a church, as followers of Jesus, I think it's important for us to think about those things and be able to look at that and go, okay, so how does that affect me and how do I now fit into that? Because what can happen with our culture, we can get sucked into the culture and think that we're first and foremost a part of our society, a part of our country, a part of our culture. And then we operate within that. But see, actually, our citizenship is in heaven. We are not first and foremost primarily a member of our culture. We are first and foremost followers of Jesus and members of his kingdom. And so we operate from within his kingdom, and then we look around and go, how can I now maybe possibly affect the world around me? And so when we think about giving, we want to be able to come in and give in that situation. As I was meditating on this this week and preparing for this morning, I was really noticing, though, my own heart when it came to being willing to give. And even what I'm talking about is this idea of giving of the good that I have. Now actually, I love to give. Um, and I love to help people and I love to be kind to people and I love to be compassionate to people. But what the problem is, is that I have a, sometimes a narrow definition of the people that I will include in that that I am willing to give to. And what can happen is that I find myself being willing to give to a certain group of people, but maybe not others. And I don't know if you can relate to that or not. You know, what I've seen going on, you know, as you look at social media and everything that has happened over the last year or two or five years or ten years or since 2007 when the iPhone first came out. What has happened with our, uh, you know, with, with our cultures, it's become very simple or very easy for things to kind of get devolved into one side or another. And either you are on my side and you agree with me about this issue or you are a horrible person. 
and uh, when you go on social media, if anybody says anything bad, and we'll even go back like the last 10 or 15 years and scour through people's Twitter account to see if they've maybe said anything that I might disagree with, and if they have, then they're canceled. If they have, then we're not going to talk about. If they have, then we judge them in the you know the, the court of public opinion. And these are these are now bad people because of something that they might have said 10 or 15 years ago. And so it's very it's interesting to see what happens as our culture starts to get divided like that, because people are either good or they're bad, and we make that decision based on maybe one opinion that they have. We've lost the ability to have nuanced and um, complex conversations. We've lost the ability to ask questions of one another and try to understand where each other come from. And then that makes it very difficult for us to give. Actually, we can be incredibly generous and incredibly wonderful, loving people, but only to the people who agree with us. Only to the people who are on our side of things. You know, social media creates these algorithms to where they, they know what you like and they know what you tend to agree with or they know the things that really get you riled up. And they will fill your feed with things that either get you riled up or things that you totally agree with. Or get you riled up so that you can get in the comment section and then yell at somebody and then someone else totally agrees with you. They, they keep giving you more of that. Someone is controlling even how you're approaching your social media life. Which then makes it very difficult for us to have the heart of, I want to be able to give. Because I do want to be able to give. I want to be able to love everybody. What is the greatest commandment? They came to Jesus, Pharisees came to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? What did he tell them? What's the first one? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's the second? Right, love your neighbor as yourself. And then later, at another point in John, John chapter 13, Jesus even kind of broke it down further. He was like, listen, the whole law, everything in the Old Testament and the Torah, everything else, it gets boiled down to this one commandment. Here's the new command I'm going to give you. What is it? Love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Everything in the law and the commandments boils down to this. Love other people. All other people. Love people that don't agree with you. Love people that have a different political opinion than you. Love people that have a different cultural background than you. Love people that took everything that happened last year with all the social unrest and the racial stuff. Love the people that have incredibly, in your opinion, short-sighted um, ideas about that. There were people that got on social media last year and said things that were really, um, in your opinion, probably hurtful or uh, maybe even ignorant um, and made you think, how can I even be in a church with somebody like that? And now when you see them, you kind of walk to the other side of the auditorium when they come in because you're like, okay, they're on my church, but I don't really have to talk to them anymore, do I? Because I don't agree with them. I know who they voted for for president. I cannot believe that person would vote for that person for president and then call themselves a Christian. And you have this bitterness in your heart towards people who have a different opinion about politics than you do. Now, the reason that I can say this with such passion and conviction or at least I think I have passion and conviction about it. You may not think so. But the reason that I feel strongly about this is because I have been noticing this in my own heart. As we've been dealing um, in, in our church down in the south with, with some different things, there are groups of people in the church who have different opinions about things. Because guess what? 
the church, a group of people, are, you, if you have one church, you're going to have 18 different opinions about one issue, okay? So that's just kind of how church goes. Does everybody understand that? You know that that's how church goes? Okay, so we have people in our church that have an opinion about how we should deal with things um, like meeting together, or how we should deal with vaccines, or how I should be talking about vaccines, or how we should deal with masks, and how we're going to deal with actually coming into church. And so we have all these different opinions. And they're like, in this one situation, there's this group of people that has a very strong opinion about this whole deal with masks. And I can view them. I look at them and I go, no, how they don't have a, a posture of love and compassion for people on the other side of the issue. And they've become very, like, settled. Like, I cannot believe that those people would think that. And I'm not even going to come to church with them. So they have this attitude that is like, um, and, and, and so now, but before you get upset at those people, the reason I'm telling you that story is because, with the, you know, because I get irritated with those people because they don't have a loving attitude towards other Christians. And I think that their attitude is so wrong that then I get really frustrated with them and I don't actually want to talk to them anymore. You see what just happened? Because I can look at somebody else's arrogance, unlovingness, lack of compassion, and then I can become arrogant and unloving and lack compassion towards them. Guys, this is a human problem that we have. This is a human issue, is that Jesus said, love one another. And we all said, that is a great idea, but can I define who the others are? Now, you get into the scripture, and that, there's a whole great, God knew that we would need that, and so that's where you get into the whole, uh, who is my neighbor story, and Jesus did the whole thing, but when, that's not what I'm talking about today. Today, I'm going to take the text out of Mark chapter 8, so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn over to Mark chapter 8, you can do that. We'll also have it on the screen if you don't, um, so that, that's okay as well, but we're going to start in Mark chapter 8 because there's this story in Mark chapter 8 that talks about this, and the reason that I wanted to talk about this with the title Empowered to Give and the idea of giving is that we need to be able to give all the time to anybody and everybody. That true followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if we follow him, we will love everybody all the time. We will be filled with love for everybody all the time, and we will be constantly repenting of our lack of love for other people all the time. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, this stuff is still going to come up. You're going to find yourself judgmental of other people. You're going to find yourself walking into hypocrisy. Even Peter did this, right? Because Peter was with Jesus the whole three years. Peter got the keys to the kingdom. He announced the beginning of the, the kingdom getting ushered in in Acts chapter 2. But then later in Galatians, we hear about how Peter would not sit down and eat with some of the Gentiles when some of the Jews from Jerusalem were around. All of us fall into this. We have to be reminded all the time. So I'm reminding you today, okay? I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you. I'm calling all of us to this beautiful picture, this idea of what the kingdom can be. And that's what I want us to be able to do today. So Mark chapter 1, or sorry, Mark chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, During those days. Now, anytime a story starts with during those days, you need to figure out what days are they talking about. This isn't just some random, you know, connector. This actually is important, and I think it's important for us to get there. So really quick, can I talk you through what happened during those days? What are the days that he's talking about? How do we get here? I want to show you this map of Galilee in the time of Jesus, okay? So we got the Sea of Galilee right there in the middle. Does everybody see it? Awesome. Does this thing have a pointer? It should. Which one? Oh, nope. See, that wasn't it. No. 
<laughs> I found it. Okay, but now I got to get to the map. There's the map. Okay, so now we got the Sea of Galilee. Now Jesus was born bing, right there. Everybody see that? What's it called? Say it louder. That's right. I have to make sure you're not falling asleep yet. Okay, everybody awake? All right, so Jesus was born in Nazareth. There's Cana where he did his first miracles. And here's the Sea of Galilee. Now, right up here, Chorazin, Capernaum, and Bethsaida. That's called the Triangle. And it was these three cities. And if you read the Gospels, a lot of Jesus' ministry happened within these three cities. That is because these three cities were the center of Pharisee life, Pharisaical life. The Pharisees were a sect of the Jews that totally believed in following the word to the letter and being obedient because they felt like once we as a nation of Israel are completely obedient to the word then the Messiah will come and so they had left Jerusalem because the Sadducees had taken over Jerusalem the Sadducees were actually really corrupt group of Jews who were all about the power they got to be the high priests they got to run the temple but it was kind of like the mafia they, they were running Jerusalem like that and so the Pharisees were like we're not getting into this worldly view we're gonna get out of here and we're gonna go study the word and we're gonna become obedient so they all moved up here on the north side of the Sea of Galilee okay so and you'll even remember you remember where Jesus was like woe to you Chorazin woe to you Capernaum woe to you Bethsaida, if the miracles that I performed in you would have been performed up in Tyre and Sidon, man, those guys would have totally repented. That's because these guys up here were Gentiles. It was up in Syria. But this was like the religious part of the Jews. They were all right there. And so Jesus is like, man, you got to do that. Okay, so I got to hurry through this. Let me, let me tell you what was going on. So at the beginning of the Gospels, when you read through the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus starts his ministry, um, and he's going all around Galilee, but really up here in the north, up in that area. Um, and then at one point, he's like, you know what? I want to go down to the Decapolis. So he comes down here. The Decapolis were a group of ten cities, uh, but these were Gentile cities. And the Jews would not go to the Decapolis. They're like, I'm not going there. Are you crazy? We cannot go there because those are not, those are not Israelites. Those, no, we become unclean if we go there. But Jesus at one point was like, we're going to the Decapolis. And he went down here and he healed some dude. Do you remember who he healed? There was a demon-possessed guy that came out of the tombs and was screaming. And he healed him, put the demons into a herd of pigs. The pigs ran down into the lake, like thousands of pigs. And all the people came out. And you, like, do you think that the people came out and were like, you healed this guy, that's so awesome, thank you. No, they were like, who the heck are you? Get out of here. And they kicked him out of the Decapolis. Okay? So now, so he goes back up, up to here to the triangle, and now he's doing his ministry up there. He's going around all the villages, he's healing, he's teaching, but only to the lost sheep of Israel. And then Herod kills John the Baptist. Jesus finds out that John the Baptist, are you guys with me on this? This is a story. This is like the coolest story you've ever heard in your entire life. You have to pay attention to this, right? So John the Baptist gets beheaded. Jesus is like, I got to get away for a second. This is a little bit too crazy. So he wants to go and find like a kind of a, it's probably over here somewhere is where they think, but he needs to go find a solitary place. But everybody chases him from these towns. They run around and they, when he gets out of the boat, they're all there. And so he has to spend time healing them. And then he's like, okay, we're all hanging out. Now what am I going to do? i got to feed these people. 5,000 men plus women and children are there, and he has to feed these people. You guys remember this story? Everybody's probably heard this story, the feeding of the 5,000. And so he feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, right? And then he gets in the boat, and they go out on the boat. That night, Peter walks on water. It's absolutely amazing. And then he's like, you know what? We're getting out of here. We're going up here. They go up to Tyre and Sidon, and he's hanging out up there. And then this woman comes up, and she's a Greek woman from Cana, uh, or a Canaanite. 
and um, uh, you know, not an Israelite. And she's like, please, can you heal one of my children? And Jesus is like, you know what, I'm only here for the lost children of Israel. Now, it's really interesting why he would say that to her, but he says, I'm not here for anybody other than Israelites. Now, then she comes back and says, she has this really interesting thing um, where she basically is like, you know, but even if it's just for the lost children of Israel, can't we get something? Because I believe that you have power. And it moved Jesus in such an amazing way, and he heals her daughter. And then he's like, you know what? We're going back to the Decapolis. And I don't know what happened, but I, what I like to think happened. And just, can you please all remember that, that I just said, I like to think this happened? This is not in the scripture, okay? This is just in my mind. Is everybody with me? This is just the gospel, the way that Jay would like to see it. What I think happened is that Jesus had gone to the capitalist. They weren't ready for him. And he goes up to Tyre and Sidon then and has this encounter with this woman, and it helps to solidify in his mind, it's now time to go beyond Israel, to go beyond the Jews, and we're going to take the good news of the gospel to everyone. Not just the Jews, but we're going, we're going back to the Decapolis. You guys ready? Like, gird up your loins, boys. We're going in. It's time for battle, okay? Are you with me? So they go back. They leave up here, and then they come back to the Sea of Galilee, and they go all the way back over here to the Decapolis. And he starts healing people, but this time, people are like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? This is amazing. He's healing people. He's helping people. He's doing all this great stuff. And so they're like, Jesus is awesome. And so thousands of people from the Decapolis start to come out all over here. They're gathered over there. And they're like, we want to figure out who this Jesus guy is. And so now Jesus then is faced with another situation where he's got thousands of people, but now he's not sure what to do with them. So that's during those days. Everybody with me? Okay, so during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come from a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Well, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, and when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. Now, just stop right there for a second, because I want you to really see that. If I could highlight it, I would. Everybody say that word. He gave them to his disciples. So Jesus took the loaves, he broke it, he gave them to his disciples and said, go distribute this. This is not a random detail. The disciples were not just the glorified wait staff. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and then he gave it to the disciples to distribute. And he also told the disciples to destroy. Oh, yeah, uh, they had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up how many basketfuls? Seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, and about 4,000 were present. Now, have you ever wondered why there are some of these random, seemingly random details in the Scripture? There are no seemingly random details in the Scripture. Details in the scripture are there for a reason. 
And when you find something in the scripture that seems weird or that seems strange, what you do then at that point is you start looking for why would he have said that there were seven basketfuls? Why would he have said that there were 4,000 people? Okay, it's kind of cool to understand it was a big group of people, but what if there's more to that? How many video gamers are got in here? Anybody play video games? <laughs> All right, how many people are like super awesome, like the best video game player ever in the world? <laughs> Okay, there's, there's at least three of them in here. Okay, congratulations, that's awesome. How many people do you know in this room that are addicted to video games? Go ahead and point them out. This is an intervention. We're just gonna start it, okay? We're gonna start it all right now. Okay, now, when, when you're playing a video game and a new video game, game comes out, there's sometimes things, or, or it used to be, maybe they don't do it in video games. Maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong about this. But they used to do it on DVDs when they would release certain DVDs. There would be something called an Easter egg. You guys know what Easter eggs are? Somebody tell me what an Easter egg is. It's like a reference or a what? A little hint, right? Now it's hidden in there, but then when you find it and you click on the Easter egg, what happens? Somebody shout it out. I can't hear. I'm old. Nobody's shouting at me at all. They're just like, why are you looking at us? You can, it helps you find new things. Thank you. Yes, when you, there, there, there are hidden things sometimes in video games, and it opens up a whole other world. Um, some of you are Star Wars fans, right? Any Star Wars fans in here? Right. Do you ever love to go back through the movies, and when you watch um, some of the early movies, you're like, oh, that, oh, now I see. Oh, that's Darth Vader. Oh, that's Anakin, right? You see at the beginning something that you didn't see the first time? What about Lord of the Rings fans? Because Star Wars fans have a, you know, a pretty high intelligence level, but they're nowhere close to Lord of the Rings fans. I'm sorry, Lord of the Rings fans, like that's, it's, it's, this is like the pinnacle of human achievement is if you appreciate the Lord of the Rings, right? So within the story of the Lord of the Rings, there are so many things that help you along the way to go, oh, wait a second. That's, oh, Aragorn is the king. Oh, I see how this is all happening, and the ring is this. And there's stuff that gets you, it's the same way with the Bible, guys. The Bible is the most incredible piece of literature that has ever been written. It is not boring. It is not dry. There are things that are in there. Once you start to get into it, it will absolutely blow your mind. And here's how you read the Bible. When you get to something that you don't understand, you set it down and you go, oh my gosh, I'm going to study this because this is going to be awesome. One day, I'm going to figure this out, and God is going to blow my mind. In fact, a lot of times in the synagogues with the Jews, when they would get to a part in the scriptures that they didn't understand and they didn't know what it meant, they would close the Torah, wrap up the scroll, and they would get up and dance. You know why they would dance? Because God was about to reveal something really amazing to them. And so when we get to things that we don't quite understand, we need to go, oh, this is going to be good. Everybody say that with me. Say, oh, this is going to be good. That's right. Okay, so we're going to talk about some numbers here. I want to do this and just kind of help you look at this. So we had the feeding of the 5,000, and then we had the feeding of the 4,000. And there's a couple differences in here and a couple things that I want to point out to you. Is everybody with me? The feeding of the 5,000 was the location of it. It was up in Galilee. Everybody say Galilee. Right. So they were up in Galilee. He's dealing a lot with the Jews, a lot of people who've grown up around the Pharisees. They knew their scriptures really well. Most of the boys there had memorized not 
just the entire Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, but many of them had memorized the entire Old Testament. Memorized! That's crazy to me, but they'd memorized it, right? So, and now, so he's preaching, this is in Galilee, and then what food do they have? They have five loaves and two fish. And then they, they handed all that out, they picked up 12 basketfuls, and in this, Jesus said, I want you to give them something to eat. He told his disciples, you take it and give it to them. Now, in the feeding of the 4,000, that was down in the Decapolis. Are the Decapolis Jews? Everybody say no. Brilliant. You've actually been listening to me. Thank you very much. So the Decapolis, it was not Jews. It was more Gentiles, right? They there, oh, they didn't have five loaves and two fish. They had seven loaves and a few small fish. We don't even know how many fish. Um, but then they picked up seven basketfuls. Now in this passage here, it says that Jesus gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. So and there's similarities in both of these stories, but differences in some of the numbers. Now why? Can we talk about numbers for a second? Numbers are important in the Bible. You may disagree with me, but I disagree with you. Now numbers are important. For instance, are there any numbers you can think of in the scriptures that are really meaningful? Seven is a good one. Why? What, what, can you think of something where the, the, there's seven things? Seven days of the week. But what, yeah, and so then we go back to Genesis. Seven days in the creation story. Je, uh, the number seven also represents, um, it represents completion or perfection. But now here's something else interesting about the number seven. Is that the number seven also can represent the Gentiles. Joshua chapter 3 verse 10, if you want to go write that down, you can look at it later. When the, when the Israelites come into the promised land, they had to kick out all of the, uh, the, 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 sorry, <laughs> they had to kick out the Gentile nations that were there. There were seven of them. And so the number seven came to represent in the Jewish mind the Gentiles. Okay, now what, what's another number that's in the scriptures? Three, thank you very much. Brilliant, we're right together, we're thinking the same thing. Where does the number three come up in the, in the scriptures? The Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, good. Anything else? Three days in the tomb, right? Jesus was three days in the tomb. Anybody else spend three days anywhere? Jonah! Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale. Have you guys ever read Jonah? You read your Old Testament? Do we know Jonah? Okay. So Jonah, three days. So anyhow, numbers are a big deal. Now the number five, what do you think the number five represents? First five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah. So when you were speaking to a Jewish audience and you talked about the number five, it represented the Torah to them. And so when we go to the feeding of the 5,000, let's talk about thousands for a second. Okay, now you, you can disagree with me on all this, but I just, this is the stuff that blows my mind. And I actually learned a lot of this from listening to Marty Solomon. So you have to come listen to Marty Solomon on October 23rd and 24th. And by the way, that's not just with the central. The south is also going to be there and the coastline is also going to be there too. So it's like almost the whole Orange County Church is going to be there. I'm not even sure about our language-based ministries. Maybe not, huh? No, probably not. Okay, but so October 24th, we're all going to be together. Now I got off track, and I'm backtracking. Marty Solomon, and I'm backtracking again. Three and seven. The number three, yeah, we're at five. But now I want to talk about the thousands, because you have three, um, which is the number for community. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, it's the number of community. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's the number of community. Okay? Then you had the number seven, which in the Jewish mind is the number of completion. Three plus seven, it's complete community. So ten represents complete community. Then you do ten times ten times ten. What does that give you? A thousand. So this is like when, when we're talking about thousands, 
It's the it's everybody together. It's the it's the complete community together three times. Everybody. But then we say five thousand, and that represents everybody that is the people of the Torah, all of the all of the Jewish nation. Okay, so the feeding of the 5,000, it was in Galilee, it was for the Jews. And he had five loaves and two fish, the Torah, and then the two many times will represent the two tablets that Moses brought down from the mountain. Okay, so there's so much stuff with this that I think is cool. But the reason, then they picked up 12 basketfuls. 12, where does the number 12 come up in the Bible? 12 tribes of Israel. 12 apostles, right? And so we see this. And then when you look in Revelation, you got the, you got the 24 elders kneeling down before the four. It's so cool. All this stuff is so cool. I'm telling you, the Bible is the most amazing book you will ever read. So we got the feeding of the 5,000. But now when he's down in the Decapolis feeding the 4,000, he's back now. He's dealing with the, with the Gentiles. And I told you that the number seven represents the Gentiles, right? So he didn't have five loaves and two fish. He had seven loaves. This is a de it's an important detail that got put into this story. Seven loaves, and they picked up seven basketfuls. So the idea is that when Jesus takes the law, when Jesus takes the word, when Jesus takes the Torah, he takes it, right? The five and the two, or it's the seven. Jesus takes it. He gives it to his disciples, and he says, now I want you to take and give this to the people. And there is enough left over for everybody. Whether it's the 12 basketfuls for the Jews or the 7 basketfuls for the Gentiles. There is enough for everybody. When Jesus, it's not just God bing, and blessing the whole world on his own. That's not how God did it. God said, come to me. I want you to participate with me in helping this world to become what it is. I want you to be with me. I want you to work with me. And so Jesus now is taking his disciples and saying, I'm going to take this word and I want you to now give it to people. I want you to go and share this with other people. I want you to take this and give this to people. And that is how we get to share with the world. That is how we learn how to give. Okay? Everybody with me on that? Now right after this, they get in a boat. And they're traveling. And it's a really cool story. But at one point, Jesus says, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now his disciples are like, what are you talking about? I, we're not sure. What, what's the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod? And they're like, dang it, we only brought one loaf of bread. We forgot the meal. We forgot the picnic. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 wait a second. No, why, why are you talking? I'm, I'm not talking about bread. I know I just said yeast. But here's the thing about Jewish rabbis. And Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, okay? Everything that they taught had a reason. They taught everything with examples. They used, if they were walking along, if he was teaching up here, he would start talking about the strings on a guitar and how there's six of them and how they all relate together as he would do a, a, a piece. That's why he would say, look at that mountain. You can tell that mountain to move. Or we're, you know, we're right here in the, in, you know, with all of the, the, the farming things that he would talk about or he would talk about being fishers of men Jesus used examples that they could understand so here he's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod and he's like I'm not just talking about bread I want you to really get this and understand and so he asks them he goes back and he says when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up 12 they replied now if he had just said do you guys do you remember when I fed all of those people and there was all that food left over if that was the point for us, and it is a great point, then he would have just said that. But also he wanted us to know five, five thousand, and twelve. This was important. Then he says this. 
When I broke these seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. And then he says, do you still not understand? Now, for many years, I would read that and go, okay, so he's just kind of getting, you know, he's bugging out on them because they didn't quite follow. But he's like really pointing out the numbers. How many did you pick up? Twelve. How many did you pick up? Seven. Because this message of the gospel is for everybody. Not just the people that you agree with, but even the people that you don't. Not just the people that you've grown up with and that think the same way that you do about social justice and think the same way that you do about all of the evils in our world and all these problems, but even the people that don't. The gospel is not just for the people who voted for the same, uh, you know, candidate for president that you did, but even for the people who didn't. The gospel is not just for people who were born in America. A lot of times Americans will think that Christianity is an American religion and we will, you know, be magnanimous enough to actually do missions and share it with the rest of the world because it all starts with us. We're arrogant. But the gospel is not just for those in America. It is for everybody in the world, all of God's children. And Jesus said, you take the word and you give it to them. So now let me call attention to another chapter, another passage in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus said this. This just blew my mind when I was studying this. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. And then he adds this, which is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. When we claim to love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and yet we think that it's okay for us to look down on somebody else or get on social media and talk about how stupid somebody else is because of their opinions. We are hypocrites. When we will accept the grace of Jesus that he gave to us on the cross, dying for us, when we will accept his grace for us, and yet we will look down on somebody else because they don't have the same opinion about us or they don't come from the same place that we do, we are hypocrites. When there are people in our church who think differently about masks, vaccines, um, uh, in, in politics, school, homeschooling, public schooling, anything like that, when we have these differences and we look down on other people, we are hypocrites. Now remember, I told you, I'm, this is like, this is convicting me. Because it's so easy for me to talk to somebody that agrees with me and go, can you believe those other people? I am a hypocrite. But Jesus said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He warned us with love and compassion in his heart because he knew that this was going to be hard for us. And he said, I want you to always take what I've given you and give it freely to other people. And now our job is to decide that we are going to give love and grace and compassion to everyone. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about pray for your enemies. Bless your enemies. What have you done to actively bless someone who disagrees with you or someone who has hurt you? I don't like that verse. Can I just be honest? Just confess that. I do not like that verse because it pushes me so far out of my comfort zone. I don't like to have to bless people who have been mean to me. I don't like to have to be kind to people who are not kind to me. I would rather ignore them. I would rather just set up a boundary 
It's a very convenient word a lot of times, isn't it? I need to have healthy boundaries. <laughs> really what we're saying is, I don't want to love that person. Now I'm not saying we don't need to have healthy boundaries, we do. But don't use the excuse of boundaries to keep you from loving someone else. You with me? Okay. So this is where I want us to end with this today. Psalm 139, this is our posture. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the prayer that I want you to pray every day this week. Search me, God. Know me. God, see if there is, is there any offensive thing in my heart? Anything offensive? So here's what I want you to think about. Number one is be honest about your heart. Really just be honest about who you are, what's coming up for you. I want you to really think about uh, the ways that you don't love other people and be honest about it. It's actually very freeing when you can talk about it, when you confess it. There's a great sense of relief when you can confess your sins and you talk about it. You're like, okay, now I can do something about it. And that actually brings us to the second thing, which is redirect your thoughts. You have to redirect. So I, um, I did martial arts for a whole lot of years. And when you're, when, any boxers in here? Anybody ever did boxing? Okay. No? Oh, good. I can beat you all up. Okay. Um, but when you're, when, when, you're, when you're boxing, like one of the things, one of the, the, the drills that we would do is you're, you're standing here like this. And if somebody is going to, like if I'm boxing somebody and they want to come in with a jab, all you have to do is this. We would do these drills where you just boop, boop. Everybody do that. Boop. I'm sorry. Boop. That's all you have to do. A massive punch coming right for your nose. And you don't have to like get out of the way. You can do that. Um, but really, one of the things you can do is just boom. And you just, you, because this punch is coming in, all you do is just take it and move it. It doesn't take a whole lot of energy. And that's what we do with our thoughts. We redirect our thoughts. Every time you have a thought, you're on social media and you go, I can't believe that guy. You go, oh, no, 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 wait. Let me have compassion. And you redirect your thought. And then you get yourself back towards loving people and giving to people. Are you with me on that? Now, let me ask you this question too. What are you willing to change about your, I know I'm, I'm, I'm kind of down on everybody on social media, so even though I'm talking about social media, you can apply this to any other area of your communication. Everybody understand that? Okay, not just social media, but can I talk about social media for one last second here? Would you be willing to look at your social media profile, at the things that you post on Facebook, the things that you post on Instagram, and all the comments that you make, and run those through the filter of, if somebody saw this, would they know that I'm a safe place to come and talk about Jesus? Let's say that there's somebody who is on the other side of the political spectrum from you. You work with them, and their marriage is falling apart, and they desperately need somebody to talk to. Would they be able to go on your Facebook page and go... That's somebody I could talk to that would have compassion for me. Or would they look at your Facebook page and go, ah, I, I can't talk to that guy because he's so angry and judgmental because what they're searching for is the love of God and the grace of God. And is that what they see from what you post? And if it's not, my brothers and sisters, I'd like to suggest that you are a hypocrite. 
And I would like to challenge you to repent. Delete things off your page and then change the way that you post. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are a representative of the grace of God. You can have opinions about what goes on in the world, but the most important thing is helping people get right with God. The most important thing is helping people enjoy the grace of God. And you have a responsibility for the way that you represent yourself to the world. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And lastly, go and give. Go into the world and give to people. You have been empowered by Jesus. Jesus took the word. He took the five loaves and the two fish. He took the seven loaves. He blessed them, and then he gave them to you and said, I want you to go and give this to other people. So I want you to think about someone that you can go and share with. I want you to think about somebody that you can encourage every day this week. I want you to think about somebody that you can ask them if you can pray for them. You ever done that? I've had people down in our ministry lately that that were going uh, going through their apartment complex just saying, Hey, I'm praying for my friends and neighbors. Anything you want me to pray for? I thought that was brilliant. Pray for people. Go and give. Jesus has given you what you need. Now go and give it to others. If you're a guest today, if you're watching us online and you're a guest and you're like, I need to know Jesus, then please... Ask somebody who brought you. Put a comment in the, uh, in, on our Facebook page. We will get in touch with you. We will study the Bible with you. Anything that we can do to help you get to know God. Now, I just got to warn you, though. If you are a guest, I want to warn you. This is a church full of hypocrites. If you think that you are going to find a church that is not full of hypocrites, you are sadly mistaken. Every single one of us is a hypocrite. But we are a church also that is going to be on our guard against hypocrisy, and we are going to be repenting of it, and we are going to be trying to change every single day. Amen? You with me on that? All right. So, church, with that, I want to say thank you so much for letting me share this with you this morning. It has been an honor to speak to you. I love you very much. Amen.